But if I like can just accept where my life is in this very second, then there is bliss in the second. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. All right. Welcome back to the Wayfinder Show. Adam, how you doing today? Doing all right, man. We're getting a little uh, cooler weather down here in the south for the last few days here. So things are good. How about you? They're good, man. You didn't get hit by that hurricane over there, did you? Nah, it turned into a pretty uh, minor storm by the time it hit this way. So we okay. got lucky. Good. All right. Well, stay yeah. safe, man. Although I'm sure that'll be... Uh... Good for the roofing business, right? <laughs> yeah, it yeah. could be. It could be. Yeah, I think we got a couple of roofs out of it. So that'll that'll do. Okay. But enough about me. We got a great yeah. guest today. Louie, who we got? We got the one and only Matt Faircloth here today. Matt is really well known in the real estate investing, real estate anything space. So if anybody has anything to do with real estate and they listen to the show, they probably know the name. But uh, we're not going to talk about real estate much here today. We want to get to know Matt Faircloth, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, non-real estate related as much as possible. So why don't we start by asking Matt, why is Captain America on your microphone, Matt? That's a great lead-in question. <laughs> and uh, I, I met you guys in another venue, and I just really uh, appreciate you guys having me on your show today, first of all. Yeah, thanks um, for being here. And, uh, and, and I love the off-the-beaten-path conversations we get to have today because I get to talk about real estate a lot, but I don't get to talk about mindset, inspiration, goals, kind of what makes us all tick as people and stuff like that. So I'm really grateful to be here. Um, that's number one. Number two, thank you for asking about Captain America. Because uh, none of the people do, and, and I do kind of wear them out there. I get, I get the shield back there uh, yeah. behind me. Uh, I've got this. I, I I don't. I'm not wearing them today, but I've got a pair of Captain America socks. I got Captain America <laughs> uh, gloves for my oven when I go to get something hot out of the oven. I wear a Captain America mitt, right? Um, and just the reason why is ever since uh, you know, I guess Disney, I guess or Marvel rebooted the 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 Marvel brand to bring the characters back. I've been such an absolute junkie for that entire, you know, saga, that entire uh, storyline. Um, and my favorite character by far, by a mile and a half is Captain America. Um, and not because so much of the America thing or because I'm an American or anything like that, or just because I am very proud of my country, as you can see with the flag behind me. But the reason why I love Captain America specifically is because of his story. And if you think about it, he's like, this young kid from Brooklyn that was like a toothpick and just, you know, couldn't fight, but just had heart. And uh, he's one of the few superheroes 
that didn't have something happen to him that made him strong. If you look back at many of the superheroes, there was a, they were just a normal Joe, and then a thing happened. They get hit by a meteor. They get bit by a radioactive spider. They get you know <laughs> stuck in a gamma ray thing or make the list of what happens to a normal human being that then makes them super, and then they have to catch up and accept their superhero powers at one point, and that's their journey. That's their hero's journey, right? Is accepting who their new humanity, right? Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers was strong internally already and was and had a good spirit, a good soul, was a good human being, uh, wanted to do right by people and just didn't have the body to match up with it. And science was able to uh, catch his body up to the uh, to what was on the inside. So he was strong on the inside first, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um and so that's why I love Captain America is because he was strong here and then through science and technology became strong on the outside. And I think that so many things are the opposite of that. And so there really wasn't as much of a hero's journey as you see in other superheroes of him having to, you know, deal with these new powers or whatever. He already was who he wanted. He became who he wanted to be already, you know, so that's why I love Captain America. That can relate to life a lot in general, like yes. just taking like money as a resource, right? And and mm -hmm. we always talk about once you, you know, you're somebody, you are who you are, but then you come across a whole lot of money and you know, it just makes you more of who you already are, right? Just I'll go one lever down too, right? Yeah. And and uh, the, um, the same technology, I'll, I'll dork out hardcore on Captain America and Marvel, right? The same technology that made Captain America who he is, a... A air quote for good superhero that that is about for justice whatever that same technology is what made the bad guy um you know in in those movies it's what made him bad right. as well so he was bad on the inside to begin with and had a darker soul and had bad intentions and whatnot so the science brought out more of who he was already and that is a great analogy with money the yeah. money does that too that brings exactly. out just just it's just a it's just like a microscope it, it brings out more of who we are to begin with yeah so that that's a great lead in i mean you've been very successful so i'm assuming you have a uh, decent resources there uh what 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 is it that you do with those resources now you yeah. you know you with I, your superpowers i do <laughs> um you know i i money's not my superpower you know, um, I, I, I certainly have it and I'm blessed and all that, but I, but I, what I do with money is one thing. What I do, uh, what I, what I believe my superpower is like my inner strength or whatever. And, and that's, and I'll back up to say this. Yeah, that was a good I word. think that we all have something, right? We, we all got a unique ability, God given talent. Um, you know, something special, uh, some call, I, I hate this term because to me, this, I don't like the word unfair, but un, an unfair advantage, you know, but whatever it is, a, a thing that I'm amazing at more than anybody else, or just, just, that's just like what I'm here to do. Right. And for me, that is, uh, inspiring people, figuring out mm -hmm. problems, um, explaining complex things in a simple fashion, like I can explain to my nine-year-old just about anything that I need to. Um, on like my nine-year-old can attend, can like he's asked me how a car works, and I've been able to explain it to him just because I'm I'm able to. That's one of my unique abilities is I can explain stuff, and that enables me to do what I do in real estate because I work with a lot of investors that want to invest in real estate and be able to explain how real estate investing works to them. So why real estate? Without getting into the weeds and the mechanics of of 
how you did it and how you built it. Why real estate yeah. and why not something else? Or did you start in another career and move to that? Or did have you just been gung-ho on real estate since you were young? Oh yeah, no, no. I um I I was in uh geez, man, let's see. I got it. I went to Virginia Tech. As if, if you're watching the, if the people are watching the recording, they can see the Hokies back there. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Virginia Tech, got my degree in engineering because people told me I was good at math and science. And so I should go get my degree in engineering. And about like uh, a third of the way through my degree, I realized, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to be an engineer. I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. I want to be, I want to be with people. And a lot of engineers are not. They're more introverted, you know, behind a desk kind of thing. Right. So I'm like the one extroverted engineer that I know. Right. So uh, I got a job in sales and I was a sales rep for seven years. That then re- just luckily enough, that job required a degree uh, in engineering because uh, you're mm. selling highly technical product, right? Mm. So um, anyway, so that I did that. And then I met my girlfriend, now wife of 18 years, and, that, uh, and she made me read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which got my head turned towards alternative ways to make money. Uh, the concept of assets and the concepts of just not trading hours for dollars per se and stuff like that. So that's how I got into, uh, in, into real estate was through Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, and that was certainly not to make money or whatever, just because I was looking for a career, looking for something different than selling machines, uh, which is what I did for se- the first seven years of my working life. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I have kind of a similar background in a way where I, I didn't know necessarily what I wanted to do and got an engineering degree as well and did not like it at all. So completely pivoted. So I get <laughs> I get where you're coming from there. You're the founder of the DeRosa Group. You wrote a book on real estate. You know, you, you've done all these things. You, you're syndicating, you flipped houses. But I want to ask you this. If you had to start over, if you for some reason went bankrupt today and had to start from square one, what would you do? Would you do the same thing or, or different path? Uh, well, if, if I, if I could do real estate investing over again, I would do it or I would do it over again because I know the ups and downs and the joys and sorrows that it brings. And I know, I know the industry, right? So my, my easy, uh, easy response that would be if I had to start over again, I was do real estate again. But if I couldn't do real estate again, if I just was, you know, precluded from doing that, you know, I, the, another easy answer, probably another entrepreneur, like build a thing, you know, um, and, and that I think that, I think that, um, what I really enjoyed when I was with Ingersoll Rand was seeing how things were made. And, uh, so I'll give you a few alternative careers for Matt, a few like, you know, a few futures for Matt that didn't happen that, 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 that are possible in another life, right? Um, hmm. is owning a business that makes a thing, um, that makes something physical and then going out there and selling it, you know, like Tommy Boy selling brake pads or something like that, you know, like hmm. from the movie that I would do that. Um, another thing that I really loved doing in college that was even a career, I even went, I went and got a book on it and, um, I did it in college for a little while was I was involved with the music business. Um, hmm. I had a, uh, I had a radio show, believe it or not, like a, you know, play, just play, play my favorite records on the, on the air. Right. Uh, I had a radio show and I also booked bands for live venues, um, and so that was something that I really enjoyed. And sometimes I wonder, I mean, that's a, just a wacky industry is the music industry. I mean, like, you know, if you're, if you're the booking agent, you're like the only sober one in the crew because like <laughs> you're dealing with a bar owner and a band. And so everybody's on something except for you. And you're just like, you're like the one adult in the room. 
um, and all that. So that got frustrating, even for a 21 year old back then. I was still like, God, I mean, do these people, no, nobody has integrity in this business. Um, but it was fun, you know, but, uh, but it, it was uphill too. So I enjoyed it and maybe I would have been able to, maybe I could have taken a run at that, but I just, just, I felt like getting my degree in engineering was probably, I should have, I should, I should go towards my degree versus doing something different. I still wonder in sometimes what would have happened in my life had I gotten into something, into the industry and ran with it and got, you know, before you know it, I'm like booking gigs for you too, or something like that, you know, who knows? So those are a few things that I would have done that I felt the calling to do that I didn't chase, you know, uh, that I just stayed in my lane and kept with what I'm doing. Yeah. Why not now? Cause I'm busy. Like I, Cause I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I do, I, I've got a thriving business that I've built already. Uh, yeah. I've also stepped out of it a bit, you know, uh, meaning like I would know where to start with regards to the music business. And I think it's also, that's maybe a, a, a business that people start out as a young man and then you kind of age into it and grow into that, grow up in that business. The building a physical product to be sold, that that could be something. Uh, this is something I was not into in my 20s, but I am into now. And maybe this is an alternative career for Matt is uh, I make my own wine. Like about 15 feet from where I'm talking to you guys, there's a, 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 like a whole wine operation that, that I have that I that I made. That I, I've got a Sangiovese and a Brunello that are about to come out of the barrel uh, uh-huh. right over there. Can't wait. So I've talk to my winemaking, but one of my, you know, neighbor, uh, neighbor slash dad buddies, you know, neighborhood dads here that I'm friends with and where I live, um, about this wacky idea that I have of getting into the winemaking business, uh, maybe not owning a vineyard, but I have another wackier idea, um, which is that people want to people, believe it or not, people want to make their own consumable like that. They want to make a wine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but making wine's a pain in the ass. And that's the problem is how do you create, make something that's a pain in the butt like that, but make it easy for people. And so what I, my idea was to go get a warehouse that's in a fun location and to have people come in and you have like a sommelier or someone that teaches them how to make wine and mm. handles the whole process for them from barrel to bottle. Right. And they can come in and they can bring food and have their little house parties and have their friends come in and whatnot and then help them barrel the wine, help them bottle the wine. You want to stomp on the grapes, fine, go do that. And they can participate as much as they can in the process and still know that it's theirs. They don't have to go jacking up their basement. Like I had to dig like holes in my basement to make that happen, wow. to do drains and everything like that. You got to want to do it. Yeah. You know, um, I, have, I have ventilation and hygrometers and all that going on over there. People don't want to do all that, but you could do that at a very easy offsite facility and they could still put a sticker on it that says that they made it themselves. And they did. Yeah. It was just under the supervision of a third party. You know, you guys come make wine with me if we do that. We, we, we're going to steal the idea. We're going to make zillions off of it. Don't worry <laughs> where you are. Just don't, just don't do it in Pennsylvania where I live. Yeah. You know, um, what's funny about this, I used to brew. I brewed for like a good seven or eight years, homebrew. And I got really serious, just like you did. And at one point, I actually bought a bar in Baltimore. <laughs> no not, way. Yeah. And not to uh, not to brew, but I bought it. I was I used to do like small commercial development and stuff by. Yeah. That's where much. I grew up, by the way. I grew Did up you really? Mm-hmm. What part? Oh, Mount Washington. I went to Poly. Oh, get uh, out of here. Yeah, yeah. I'm staying. <laughs> I lived in Laurel. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, now uh, we're really yeah. going to bore people. My mom still lives in Mount Washington. 
That's um, awesome. I love my yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what bar did you buy? The cameo? The, the cameo? It's no longer the cameo. It's now like a really cool co-working space. Yeah. Oh. But it was the, the city shut it down for serving underage minors. And then we had people in there. But <laughs> you had funny, nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So they shut it down. We bought it off the auction. Right. We bought it off at an auction from the city. But the, uh, uh, what's it called? The, uh, you know, I got it and I was, as a brewer, I was just a hobby brewer. I mean, I guess I was always, but then I got all the old kegs and it made like a three grain, you know, three tier all grain system. It got really into it. And, and I was starting to do like what you're describing. I started getting into mead and wine as well. Yeah. We'd have mead parties because I had all these carboys and kegs and everything from. You enjoy mead? What's that? I, it's I easy. I tried it, man. It just tastes like a mistake, though. When you drink it, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like they were trying to do something with this and they didn't quite get there, but they're going to serve it anyway and hope nobody notices, right? Yeah, you just um, throw some fruit in and wait around. Yeah, and eventually, yeah, right. you know, or I'll get drunk first and then have some. Taste yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, it's, oh, this almost got where you wanted it to go. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what, what I would do because honey was so expensive. Yeah. Was we'd have a party and have people bring their honey and we'd have, and we'd make mead no. there and I'd teach, and then we'd With section people's honey from their home. Yeah. And then we would break and everybody would break it off into their own little carboy or gallon and then take it home with them to add stuff. It was kind of cool, kind of a, a similar idea, you know, but I'm wondering. With that in mind, because I, I think, you know, th this is obviously a hobby for you, right? But it's it's one you're very passionate about, yes. right? And I think we all have that. And we get deep into it, and then we want to make our hobbies our businesses, right? Uh, at the time, I thought about making brewing my business. Now I'm a pretty hardcore runner, and I think about that as a as my yeah. hobby, that I, I want to make a business all the time. But I resist because I'm afraid it's going to kill the joy out of it for me, right? What do you think of that? Like people who actually pursue their passions, their hobbies, their passions and make them into business. It's an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because everybody's right. got the thing that yeah. they love. Yeah. And they're like, man, there's some of we could and like you see like the the hobbyist. I was just at a um yeah. local flea market, right? And there and my son's got a bunch of Pokemon. And, you know, and just there's no value in these little Pokemon cards, but he thinks that there is. So we go to this flea market and there's a dude. It's got a booth at the flea market and he's selling all that kind of stuff. And the guy's got everything from like double axe. So he's one of those kind of guys. He's got like double axe swords in yeah. Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons books and also Pokemon cards. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's somebody who's turned his passion into a business. And of course, my son could not strike a deal with this guy for the Pokemon. So yeah. my son still has his Pokemon cards. But I think about that guy when I think about what you're talking about, he was able to like monetize his passion. Right. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, what I commend him on is he didn't like just my son shows up with a bunch of Junko Pokemon. He knew what he was doing well enough to have his business hat on with his hobby hat. Right. Mm. And I've heard of too many people that have a passion and they want to monetize it. Uh, I got a friend that the other day, he's really into health and he's like, man, like I want to just do like a like a health coaching business, and I want to yeah. tell like tell people about how to do this and how to do that. And I started asking a few. I wasn't trying to poke holes in it. Wasn't trying to be a jerk, but I was, I was asking like the dollars and cents questions, right? Because it would be great if like life worked like that. Like it, all you need to do is pursue your passions, and you will make millions, right? It'd be great if the equation was that simple, but it's right. not, right? So. 
the the and the holes I was poking at him was he had he's not a marketer. This guy had not thought about how he's gonna attract clients or how much he's even gonna charge these health clients that he wants to help. And this guy's like in the epitome of health right. shape. And right. he's somebody who I go to for advice for free on how to, you know, should I take this vitamin or that vitamin? And he'll tell you. Right. The problem is that that to convert your passion into money, I think that you gotta have the dollars and cents conversation with yourself about like, how do I make this unique? How do I market this? How do I, you know, not like go and get into this thing and have it cost me a lot of money and not make any money on the back end of it. Right. So I think that there's a good marriage or a hybridization in, in between like passion and business, if you really want to be successful in these things. But I think that you got to love what you do. I mean, people that I know that are in businesses that they hate, and I've had people admit to that, that they hate the businesses they're in. I mean, they're freaking miserable, dude. You know? Mm -hmm. So you got to- And I think think time plays into that a lot too, right? Like if if you get into something and all of a sudden you got to spend a hundred hours a week to to make any money, you're probably going to grow to hate it versus if you can- build a scalable business where maybe, you know, after a few years, you can back out to, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week. Maybe, maybe you can still keep it as an enjoyable passion and grow it into a business. Yeah. But, you know, it's yeah. And if you love tough. it, you will want to spend more time in it. And you also yeah. like, there's a certain, like, you know what it is, Adam, is like, there's like a level of joy. Um, and if you can bring a little bit of joy to what you do, then I, I think that it just makes the debt that makes the time pass easier, you know, uh, and everything like that. So I would probably spend a hundred hours on something that I have like exuberant joy for, for a little while anyway, maybe not forever. At some point, everything gets old. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I'd be willing to do that much, much more versus something that I don't enjoy, you know? So maybe, maybe that's part of why people do well if they decide to chase their passions. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, as you, you know, five years from now, where, where would you like, what would you like to be doing then? Would you be chasing more passion, continue to build a business or do they go hand in hand? I'd like to be exploring mm-hmm. a little bit more. I've been, as mm-hmm. I've come into a few more means, I've been traveling a lot more um, on that. So I want to be traveling way more. Mm-hmm. I also have to be cognizant of the lives that I'm now responsible for. I've said, I got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. Yeah. Um, and so five years from now, they'll be, I mean, my nine-year-old is going to be in the throes of it, brother. He's going to be 14. I mean, that's right. like, you know, that's like neck deep in the middle of puberty and everything else, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I want to be at his side five years from now. I want to be helping him because I know he's going to be dealing with some stuff and my daughter will be 11. So she'll probably be hating me too, but probably the, that's the, that both of them will be hating me equally uh, at, at, <laughs> at 14 and 11. Cause it's what yeah. kids around that age, you know, yeah. and they just despise their parents. Um, I want to be traveling probably driving my, dragging my kids around to places and having them roll their eyes at me a lot and stuff like that. I, uh, I'd like to be trying on, I, I don't do enough call it like venture capital, you know? Um, but I'd like to be seeding some businesses by that point. Mm. Meaning like, I think that I can bring, I've been doing, I've been doing what I do for 18 years as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to have, uh, almost like a, like a, maybe like an incubator model kind of thing where I can help entrepreneurs with some capital and with some leadership to help them take whatever it is their thing is and help them get to the next level, you know, and, and maybe it's real estate related. Maybe it's not, but I, but I've been able to build a business as an owner that's become less and less dependent on me, even though it keeps Mm -hmm. growing, 
So Mm -hmm. I want to have that and have that continue to grow, but it's growing to the point where I can take my hands off the wheel a little bit more than I can right now and expand some of the values and missions that I've learned there into maybe completely non-real estate related things. So what does your business look like from an employee perspective? Are you do you have a, a large staff under you helping you run your uh, business? Yeah, yeah, I'm standing on broad shoulders, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I do have a great team. Uh we have a team of about 12 um in, in our company that run all kinds of different facets. We are about to take on um uh, a property management leg of our company that will put mm-hmm. us into a position where we will be at around 50 new employees. So uh, that is something I am daily preparing for and getting ready to be, to have to lead that in in our company. So that's something new, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, but I've, I've gone, I've been at zero in my past employees. I've been at more than I am now. uh, And that it's, it's a leading people is something, man. I mean, it's, it, it can be rewarding, but it can be tough too, you know? Man, management is such a labor-intensive business. It's it's wild. I remember a couple of years ago, I was at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, and Warren mm-hmm. Buffett and Charlie Munger were talking about you know their business and how they analyze them, and with their twelve people at their headquarters in Omaha. And I'm thinking, here's one of the largest corporations in the world, and they only have twelve people. And then my partner, he's got a management company, and he's got about seventy employees, mm-hmm. and. And the, and you know, obviously it's, it's a fraction, <laughs> I mean, you know, of the size of business is, is Warren and Charlie's and he's got, yeah, you know, yeah. what, five, six times as many employees. It's, it's wild. It's a big, for him. I, I, I don't know how a, he does it. I don't know how you're going to do it. <laughs> I, I don't either. Was an owner, you just got to be willing to jump into whatever, right? Like sure. I was, well, we, we had a fairly reasonable size construction company at one point. Yeah. And freaking. Two of my guys one day freaking have a damn fist fight on the job yeah. site, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I got to go talk to the both of them. Like, like, and, and all of a sudden I'm like fifth grade school teacher that broke up a fight in the, on the playground, you know, and I got to go talk to these two guys about like, okay, what happened? Well, he, it was it, complete dumb. He took right. my nail gun, you know, and I, <laughs> I thought he thought it was his and he wanted to borrow it and he didn't say he could or whatever. And I'm like, do you people hear yourselves? You know, like, you know, I, I got to give them a lecture on sharing and stuff like that. And like, okay, don't hit him. If he takes your nail gun again, you don't punch him. Okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're going in timeout. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put you in timeout. I'm, I'm sitting here. Like I'm like, I'm sitting here having this conversation, but it was one of those moments in life where you kind of like step outside of yourself, watching yourself have the conversation. And I'm like, it's just what I thought I was going to be dealing with when I went to college. This is what I thought life was going to look like when I, when I yeah. got into business that I'm going to be talking to these two knuckleheads about getting to a fight of over using a nail gun. Really? Yeah. Like, this is what I, I, yeah, but I, but I had to do it. Cause that's like, I guess it's life or business ownership in general is you got to just keep rolling, keep moving with the cards you've been dealt. And those are the, the that's the cards that, that were dealt in front of me at the time that I've got to deal with. I can't just, walk away from it. I can't say, oh, screw it. I don't want to do this anymore yeah, or whatever. I did. De- I had to mitigate that, you yeah. know, because so it's just sometimes you got to just you gotta play what you got. And uh, it, it's an interesting, uh, I don't know, business, business ownership puts you into some weird situations that you've got to just be willing to deal with whatever comes up for the day sometimes. So what's your favorite business or, or you know, 
that you're doing. I mean, I know everything's real estate related, but you know, the book you've had the book, you've got the yeah. the brokerage, you've developed some, right? You'd raise no, capital. I've built. I, I like. I'll tell you what the part of what I do. I, I don't have a brokerage. We, oh, we, we just buy what we do. I'll okay. tell you what we do, and I'll tell you what I loved the most about. I don't. I don't get to do the part of the but the business that I like the most anyway anymore. Um, in that, but I'll tell you why. So. My company right now attracts investors through social media postings and through online stuff. We attract people that want to make passive income on their money without having to, they want to make a return on their money without having to do anything, right? They, they want to separate doing from earning. Um, and so we set that up for them by them, by helping them buy apartment buildings with us, by putting their money into passive assets that we've built, um, in that. I run the marketing and sales arm of our company. Aside from that, there is an operations arm that finds the properties and that, re- and that renovates them, manages them, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, I run my side of it from my home in Pennsylvania. And I've got remote staff that do that side of it. What I loved the most about the business was when it was more active and hands-on local. Because I I get started out of Trenton, New Jersey. That's where I Mm -hmm. got started in real estate investing, believe it or not, of all places. And what I really enjoyed the most was walking into a property for the first time and saying, okay, what are we going to do? Like, how am I going to, what am I, how can I optimize this? How can I solve this? Well, what if we put the kitchen over here? What if we put a wall here? What if I open that wall up? What if I took this wall down? What if I did this, did this, did this? What if, like, I, I loved, loved painting the picture of the business plan with my partner in the property for the very first time, like scrapo, written on the back of a notepad, you know, and then coming back a, a couple weeks later, and starting to see that vision take hold. See mm. the, what if we take that wall down? I come back and the demo crew's taking the wall down. And you mm-hmm. can see how much it opened the house up. Or like, what if we turn, what if we put a bathroom over here? And you start to see the things start to come in. And you see like your vision that you had start to take hold. And if you did, if you painted the picture right in your head uh, and in explaining it to your people, it's like, it's, it's like you got a magic wand. It's starting to see your vision come to reality through, you know, having the what if conversations. I really enjoyed that part of it. I don't do it as much because I don't get in the field as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the properties that my company's involved with today are in, uh, they're in Kentucky, North Carolina, and some are here in Pennsylvania, but not, not close to me. Like I, everything that my company's involved in is like a two hour drive or an airplane ride from where I live. Mm-hmm. So I don't get to do the field stuff anymore, but I really enjoyed it when I was able to do it. So are you you're looking at more on investor relations and and yeah, making sure I, I the marketing engine do, is going. Yeah, yeah, I do what I'm great at, which is talking to investors and pay and and uh, you know explaining to them how we do what we do and kind of leading the company or whatever. Because the problem is, Adam, is as much as I enjoyed, what if we took that wall down? What if we did this? What if we did that? I wasn't thinking about the budget as much as I should, and so I would go painting a sixty thousand dollar budget for a job that you couldn't spend any more than thirty k on, or you were going to lose money. So that's number one. That's why I shouldn't do that kind of stuff anymore. Number two, I am way too nice to be out dealing with contractors, and that. So I got steamrolled by contractor after contractor yeah. um, that told me things like, "Oh, I need half the money up front." Okay, here you go. You know, and I'd write them a check and they disappear. And I just went and bought them. I made their, their monthly payment on their boat that month and they disappear. You know, the, the, the creation side of it was good for me, 
but the implementation side of it was where I fell on my face. And this is what I used to do a lot of it myself. I mean, I did four dozen fix and flips in my career and some of them went great. And some of them I got completely hosed on and, and that. So yeah, it, it worked out sometimes, but it, it works out a lot better now when I've got people that are able to do the implementation stuff without me. So in what ways are you uh, leaning into that, that creative side that you like that you like to come in and design a space i'm sure there's there's probably other ways that you can you can tap into that doing what you're well, doing a, a really good creator what they're doing is they're just like they're talking into something that doesn't exist at the time right um and so i think that what i'm able to do now i do some teaching and educating with students that want like people that want to like raise their game and become more active real estate investors like we are um so what I really enjoy, I, I had a call with a bunch of students this afternoon that I just, there's probably, if I don't, as I'm laying my head on my pillow tonight and I'm thinking about like what my highlight of my day was today, aside from talking to you guys, um, my highlight of my day today, talking to my students, because a few of them had some real problems and I was able to get creative in the solution of those problems with them. Like, what if you did this? What if you did that? And I could tell there are a few light bulb moments that I was able to give them an angle of attack that they had not thought about. Like, oh, yeah, like, okay. And I was like, okay, I added value in that. So that's, to answer your question, Adam, is like, I think that problem solving requires more creativity than people realize because, you know, a lot of times solving a problem is simply just looking at it from a different angle and there are a different set of eyes or whatever, um, which is why it's so important to get new eyes on problems because they can look at it from a different perspective and give you a, a thought line you might not have thought out. So that's probably what I love the most about teaching with working with my students. And that's where I, I get a lot of juice from that. So yeah, it's not walking through a fix and flip and taking walls down. You know, but I can live without that versus like, I'm still solving problems and thinking of things creatively. So, so we could probably keep going forever, but I think, uh, you know, with respect to your time, I'd love to jive yeah. into the Wayfinder 4 if you're ready for that. Bring it on, man. All right, man. First question. What is a hack that you use in your daily life? Okay. People will laugh, but, uh, but I, I, well, they won't. I plan my day every day. Um, but my daily plan um is correlated to my weekly plan which is correlated to my annual plan right so i plan my year and then i plan my uh i plan my week in and the the weekly plan the the day plan or the year plan is in like this long um uh google doc that my wife and i do together coming into new years and stuff like that right is we want a cool. uh, whole life and then my weekly plan has everything like my health goals, my spiritual goals, my marriage goals, my kid goals, and then business sectors that I'm involved in, right? That's all there for planning my week. And when I plan my day, the part of it you're going to laugh about is I break my day down into, um, this is like pre-COVID language, um, but we used to go to a lot of meetings. Now we just click on a button and go to them on Zoom, right? Uh, and so I write go. And those the, the go are the meetings I have that day. I just write them down. So I had podcasts, four o'clock today with you guys, right? I can cross that off. It feels great to cross things off your to-do list, doesn't it? So I just got to cross that off. So, and then I have people I have to call. Um, that's like quickie follow-up in between meetings. I call somebody and back in the day, I would do that in my car when I was driving in between meetings, you know, and that was just so I could stay productive in my car going from A to B. I would do all my calls. 
Uh, and again, back in the day, I would write, I would write the name Patrick and I'd write his phone number right there. And so I'd call Patrick up while I was driving from meeting A to meeting B. And this is just somebody to follow up with or whatever. And then do is stuff I had to do on my desk. And so I, I go call do and do could be turning that loan application, uh, read the report that Johnny sent me, something like that. Right. So I write down things that where I have to go, people have to call things I have to do. And I just haven't changed the lingo. So to this day, for the last 18 years, I've been writing my go call do list and I got it sitting in front of me right now. <laughs> go call do. There it is. So, so that, that's a little hack I do for productivity that I've, it, I'm like a slave to it. I have to do it. I, I do it every day. I love, love it. it. And then yeah. when I'm done with my, my go call do list, I can stop and I don't put anything more on it. That's, yeah, that's the other little tip. No, I was going to say, you talked about your, you know, you and your wife sit down every year and do a yearly plan. And then you broke it down. Obviously, we just talked about all the way down to the day. Do you um, do any kind of long term vision, like five, 10, 20 year yeah. vision stuff as well? And then does the year correlate to that? I assume that her and I do. Yeah. Well, we cool. think about like, well, that you can't plan life in years, right? Life is right. more like, you know, if you're like in the ocean and swimming, you're swimming towards the horizon, which is you might not even get to it. Like, well, what direction are we going? So we do think a lot about where we want to be in five and 10 years. And then I try and break that down into, you got to chunkify it, right? To where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, now it's a year. All right, let me break that down and do like little chunks. And I get all the way down to what I got to do today. And if I look at things I'm doing today, I could probably, if I thought real hard, extrapolate that out to how if I do that thing today, it'll carry me that much closer to where I want to go in a year or five years. You know, I, I had, um, I, my, my kids are now on the other age, you know, they're in their late teens now, mid to late teens. <laughs> but I feel like in the time when your kids were the age they were, it was so hard for me to think five years ahead or any of that, you know, or so much, yeah, you yeah. know, even, even a year, you know. Now it's my like daddy, only quick. now my wife and I are going back to doing longer term planning. Yeah. It's only because we have, uh, we have, uh, nieces and nephews that are much older than my kids okay. are. My wife and I got started late on having kids. Gotcha. And so, um, uh, our, a lot of our relative kids in, in our, in our family circle are much older than my children are. And so I see what happens and I see how they kind of like, you know, teenage years and older years or whatever. So I just, I can only do, I can only prepare for what's going to happen to my children as they grow by watching nieces and nephews, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and seeing what they, what their parents went through and what they went through themselves. That's good. So give us a favorite, could be a movie, a book, a routine. You know what my favorite movies are is Marvel movies. Um, oh, but uh, a favorite, I doubt we'll go book, right? Cause I did the movie thing. Sure. Um, a favorite book for my for me, I'll go deep on you, man. I'm actually I'm, I'm in the middle of reading Course in Miracles right now, but um, but the the book that really opened me up spiritually was a book called Conversations with God, mm -hmm. um, and and uh, it, by Neil Donald Walsh, the first one, um, and it was a book that really just gave me perspective and just made a relationship with higher power more palatable for me for for my simple man brain it made me it made it easy for me to get my head around and i could actually feel it for the first time did you grow up in the church at all i did but i didn't okay. get it i, I yeah. did i grew up in the church 
Um, I was brought up. I went to uh, church almost every Sunday. Uh, my mom and my dad were both involved in in our church. Like you know, my dad's a deacon. You know, my mom's doing the communion, and she's you know. So we were a church family, but there there needed to be a moment for me to own it and for me to feel God in my life. Uh, and I didn't feel that through my church. I just felt I felt like church is an obligation, is a thing you did but I didn't know why. And I didn't feel that relationship with God for myself until I read that book. Hmm. Very cool. I'll have to check it out. So what's a piece of advice you would give your 25 year old self? 25. Okay. A different advice. Uh, let's see. I met my wife when I was 26, 27. So I probably would have quit my job earlier than I did. When I, uh, when I had a job working for, I worked for Ingersoll Rand, um, mm. and I chose the safe route a lot in my youth. And I probably would, would prefer Adam to talk to my 22 year old self because my 22 year old self was just getting out of college and I chose the safe route immediately in 20, but it's 20, I mean, like you don't want to play it safe at 22, man. That's when you want to get out there and we don't realize how life requires safety as you get older with, with kids and with that kind of thing. And so I probably would have tried uh, Louis for that conversation before about music industry and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I probably would have tried that myself, the music industry thing. So what if this engineering degree thing doesn't work out for me or Fingersall Rand isn't hiring anymore. I probably would have tried a few flyer careers or like, let's go backpack across Europe or whatever. I would have taken more risks in my youth, knowing that you can't do these things later in life. And that's, I would have like, you know, taken a couple, borrowed a couple of grand off my dad and, and gone and moved to Europe and just see if I could make it happen, you know, or like just backpack across the U S something crazy. I would have done more craziness in my 22, 23 year old life, but I, but I played it safer than I needed to at that time. Mm. Do more craziness. I like yeah. That. What do you think it is that keeps people from being happy? Mm, I actually am happy a lot, but I also think that what prevents me from being happy more. Hmm. Good question. Think about it. Or others. What do you think? What do you, mean? you know, just what do you think people in general? Oh, other people? Them, Shit. Yeah. Or yeah, yourself, either way. Pardon my French. You guys have to bleep me too much. I'm sorry. I have a worse part. No, you're good, man. No, no. I grew up around kids. I, I grew up around kids. My dad was in construction and I'm in construction now in my business a little bit. So I just, you know, and my wife's 100% Italian. So I, we both just first like sailed. <laughs> it's fine, man. We we loop it. We record good. and just loop it the whole way. Yeah. So we're okay, good. good. Anyway, <laughs> good, 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 good. Anyway, um, what makes, what prevents me from being happy is, and I think what prevents me from, what, anybody from being happy is just, the disconnect of where life is versus where they want it to be, right? Um, and the the lack of acceptance of life in the moment this second, right? And I think that that the hundred percent happiness, like an, another book, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, right? Mm. If you get to the point of accepting life in this moment, this moment, right now, four fifty p.m. at on September the fifth, I had to cheat and look at the time in today's date, right? But if I like can just accept where my life is in this very second, then there is bliss in the second that, that you can have. And then that you can kind of like go to heaven right here as we talk by getting towards a moment of bliss. Um, and 
the the disconnect from that is people are like, well, I can't go to bliss right now because I need another five grand in my checking account, or I can't be happy today because my kid's being a jerk today or because my wife doesn't, you know, like find me attractive anymore or because I still got the extra 10 pounds on my waist or because, because, because man, I could make a, I could fill up this whiteboard here next to me with a bunch of reasons why I can't be happy right now. Things that aren't the way I want them to be. Ben, believe me, I can think of them. Right. Um, but the like the the happiness is just accepting life for what it is and knowing that like i will have the next moment to put one foot in front of the other and to take further action to grow myself towards what i want and everything like that and i still go through that too and i'm a fairly intentional person but i i still have moments uh, many moments of disconnect from happiness because I just can't accept things for what they are. They're like, okay, I didn't work out today and I judge myself for not working out today. Or I didn't get that business deal or I didn't squeeze as much out of the lemon in that opportunity as I wanted to. Or I, ju- I judge myself. Like, I was I was at a party this weekend uh, for a baptism and I, I didn't like a comment that I made to somebody, right? And so I, I just, I, I said something to this person and they heard me wrong. They dis- they did, they uh, misunderstood what I said. Let's put it that way. I was trying to say something nice and they, they didn't know that I was trying to say something nice and they misinterpreted it. And they kind of gave me a look and they walked away, right? And I didn't get a chance to clean that up. And I still, to this moment, play that moment over and over and over in my head. And yeah. because of that moment, uh, it's robbed me a little bit of my happiness because I replay mistakes that I've made. Right. I think a mm-hmm. lot of us do that. Like they, they start yeah. running on a loop and we play them over and over again. Instead of just knowing like, Hey man, it's just, that just came out is what it is. It's fine. I get just a contribution to the world and I just forgive myself forgiveness. Right. It's very hard to do that. And if you're mm-hmm. present in the moment, you can forgive yourself and know, Oh, well, it's maybe they, maybe they heard it the right way. Uh, yeah, maybe they, maybe they'll, have an epiphany later in life, whatever it is. It's a very long-winded answer to your question, but I think these are all reasons why I personally don't achieve as much happiness as I could because of not being present in the moment or because of judging myself on things I've done in my past. Mm. And including dumb stuff, like saying something stupid at a party. No, not like major things, just stupid stuff, making a, making a stupid comment like that, that. That's what plays on a loop in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you're playing it in your head way longer than the person who, who they forgot misunderstood I said it. it. Yeah, they forgot exactly. it. They're like, what are you even talking about? Because you know what, Adam? I've had the moment of bringing things like that. Like I've had a loop going, right? And I've had a moment of bringing it up to the person that I was having the loop with about judging myself. And I got that opportunity to say, hey, like, do you remember that cocktail party we were at three years ago where I said the, the, the that dress was too short on you or something like that? Well, I'm really <laughs> sorry about that. Like, I don't even remember being at that party, you know? <laughs> like, they don't even, they, they disconnected from it so so much earlier than I did that they've moved on and they're now judging themselves about other things that they said. They're, not, they're, they're you know, dealing with their own insecurities and their own stuff. And they've already forgotten about that moment, right? <laughs> so, and they've been wearing pants. Ever a lot since. more grace. What's that? And they've been wearing pants ever since. Probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> I completed. I created a whole complex, right? Yeah. <laughs> Matt, if anybody wants to know any more about you, how do they go about finding you? 
Sure. They just Instagram's probably a good way, or they can get yeah. me on my, my company website's Derosa Group. That's right there. D-E-R-O-S-A group.com. Derosa group.com is where they hear more about my company. Uh, they want to track what I'm up to in life, whatever. It's just look on, uh, Instagram at the Matt Fairclough. Um, there are other Matt Faircloths in the world, but I wanted to just have something in the front. So I put the Matt Faircloth, uh, on Instagram. They can get me there. And if somebody's interested in exploring coaching with you, is that something that, that you make public or is that a more? Yeah. Tightly... So website, Derosa group, okay. uh, on it. our website, there is, there is education products. There is, they can, they can get passive investing products through us, or they can also, uh, look into a lot of education vehicles from us as well on our website, either, either one of those. Perfect. Well, Matt, we can't thank you enough, man. It's been great having you on the show and I had a lot of fun today. Louis and Adam, it's been great being here with you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Matt. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.